Good morning. Good to see you this morning. My wife and I were on vacation for the past couple of weeks. We participated by Zoom, so hello to all of you joining us that way. It actually was lovely. Um, pray with me as I begin the message. So Jesus, thank you for us, for being here, for your presence. Thank you for the way that you work to produce goodness in the world through us. Help us to catch a glimpse of that, how that might be going on in our lives today. Amen. So my wife and I, this is sort of a part of the, the legend of sanctuary. My wife and I are walking along Newport Road, which is a road uh, we live near there. It's out in the country, just north of town. Small country road, populated mostly by corn and cows. And she says to me, um, what if the people questioning the clobber passages are right? So the clobber passages, a big part of the story of sanctuary is us, us emerging from a conservative practice of Christianity that was restrictive, suppressive uh, towards homosexuality into a practice of inclusion and centering. But it was a long journey, and a part of what happened was my wife feeling tugged in that direction and bringing to me, amongst many others, this one question. So there are some passages in the Bible that those who practice a suppressive uh, attitude towards queerness and homosexuality, there are some passages, one, two, three, four, or maybe five, six, seven, that people will use to justify, support, to validate that position. My wife had become increasingly uh, exposed to folks who were saying, yeah, I don't think that's what was going on there, who were interpreting those passages in a different way. And I, inhabiting my sort of identity and inhabiting the faith group, the bigger faith group that I was a part of, I would dismiss what my wife was saying. And my <clears throat> primary argument of dismissal was, well, those people who want to change the meaning of these passages are just trying to make it say what they want it to say. Right? That's all they're doing. Now, we'll say for another day why I wasn't dis <laughs> dismissing the conservative argument in that way. Well, those people are just making it say what they want it to say. But on this day, <clears throat> I don't know, like our typical pattern was we would have this argument out on Newport Road and the cows would watch us and, you know, we'd arrive at home still kind of grumpy and then go about our day and then the next day do the same thing. <clears throat> but on this day, I don't, like, I can still picture it. It's a, it's a visual memory that I have. I, can, I, I know exactly where it occurred in the cornfields, a little more than a mile from our house. The, like the gears in my brain changed or unlocked or something. And I just remember thinking, like all I thought, okay, this is not a big leap. All I thought was, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe she's right. Maybe my dismissal is not valid. Maybe my dismissal is me just not wanting to engage with this whole way of thinking. And I look back on that now as a mustard seed that my wife dropped into the garden of me that grew to become something 
or as yeast that got mixed into the batch of dough that is me, that produced transformation because it didn't lead just to thinking differently about a couple of Bible passages. The outcome of that that is still playing out, I don't know how long, 12, 15 years later, is that everything about who I am has been transformed. Everything about how I conceive of God, about how I conceive of Jesus, what the church is for, what Jesus is trying to do in the world, how we interact with the Bible, how we interact with the text, has been completely changed. And not just how I think about a particular topic, and truthfully, not just my practice of faith, who I am as a human being has been transformed through and through by that moment, how I relate to and interact with others, how I structure my internal world, what I worry about, what I don't worry about. <laughs> it is all completely different 15 years later. And to be fair, my wife dropped that seed into me because seeds had been dropped into her previously by, by others, by friends of ours, both queer and not queer, who were struggling with how to be who they were in a world that wouldn't let that happen. And so I say that, so those are metaphors that'll come to us through the story of Jesus that we'll encounter today, right? I'm not one given to tossing mustard seeds. It's not a thing I do. It comes to us from the text this morning. But Jesus is gonna present these ideas, this form of transformation as how the kingdom of God functions, how the goodness of God comes to us at the tail end of a story. And we're gonna go through the story because the story itself is pretty interesting and fun and controversial. And, um, but it also will help to illuminate why these metaphors or images for how the goodness of God comes to us are so startling, so surprising. And hopefully will help us to understand how it might be happening in our lives, how to make room for this as a way for the goodness of God coming to us. Okay, so the story comes from the account of life of Jesus that's told by Luke or attributed to Luke. Chapter 13, verse 10. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And look, a woman suffering from a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, and she was bent over and was entirely unable to stand up straight. And seeing her, Jesus called her to him and said to her, Madam, you have been released from your infirmity. And he placed his hands upon her, and at once she was raised up erect and glorified God. Now, I'm imagining this setting for this story is a lot like us gathered here this morning, maybe without the pandemic, you know, but there are a lot of sources of threat for people back in the day. But probably a small gathering, a local community, it doesn't say what city this occurred in, but based on how the story unfolds, Jesus is a guest speaker on the Sabbath. Uh, it seems that the people in this community probably knew each other for a long time, a pretty stable group of folks, right? So, uh, moving around a lot wasn't a thing back then as much as it is now. And so <laughs> I'm assuming that occasionally Jesus actually finished the message, like went from start to finish straight through. 
And that a lot of times when he spoke, it just was a nice Sabbath morning and the people then off, you know, went off to brunch somewhere. We don't have the stories of those, though. The only ones we have the stories of are where something happens in the middle of talking and it produces brrr, the conflagration, right? So Jesus is talking. And as he's teaching, he sees somebody who catches his attention in a way that he wants to respond to now, right? <laughs> Rather than me seeing one of you and thinking, putting it in the back of my mind and thinking, oh, I'll find that person afterwards. Jesus does a thing publicly, okay? So he sees a woman with an affliction, and he stops his message, and in front of everybody, he calls her to him. Now, this would be uncomfortable no matter what for the person and for everybody in the room, like, oh, this isn't business as usual. But I'm imagining it's, you know, a little bit of heightened discomfort. It's a woman, so there's already some suppression of personhood and of publicness. But then this is a person who's been afflicted, who's been bent over, stooped over for eight years. That is who she is. That's the identity she inhabits. Probably not something that makes her feel good about herself, right, in the midst of everybody else. Maybe makes folks feel uncomfortable, but Jesus says, <laughs> um, okay, we're going to put the message on pause. Come up front. And so I'm imagining her discomfort, and I'm thinking it's probably a bit of a slow progress because of her affliction. But then in front of everybody, Jesus says these lovely words, Madam, you have been released from your infirmity. And he placed his hands upon her, and at once she was raised up erect and glorified God. So she goes from being stooped over, stands up straight. Now there's, <laughs> it's a real thing physically, right? Amazing. And everybody is watching and has the same experience of seeing it. So they are brought into this as a group, as a crowd. And there's nothing more symbolically rich, right, than something going from being bent over to standing up straight, or as our text says, becoming erect. <laughs> and so the people watch, and they're amazed. Now, what should happen from here, right, is a celebration. Everybody who has been a part of this woman's life for almost two decades, Woo, let's stop everything. We'll have a little reception, run home, bring the leftovers back. People enjoying this woman's newfound stature. But of course, that's not the case. It says, but in response, the ruler of the synagogue, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the crowd, there are six days when it is necessary to work. Come therefore and be healed on those and not on the day of the Sabbath. Okay, so the superficial or the, the, the surface issue here is adherence to a set of rules and laws about how one may and may not behave on the day of rest, right? And it's easy for us to kind of sit there as what's going on and just to be upset. Oh, you know, this leader of the synagogue becomes kind of a target, an easy target for dismissal. How could he be so petty? as to put adherence to the law ahead of what's just happened to this woman, the goodness that's come into her, how it's transformed her. 
right? But I think something deeper is going on for him because of the way he's presented to us by the writer. He's incensed. And then the way he addresses the problem that he's feeling is a bit unusual. He's incensed, it says, at Jesus, but he speaks, he directs his venom towards the crowd. Maybe because Jesus is the guest speaker and, you know, that's not a you know, good protocol. Maybe because Jesus is popular. Maybe because Jesus has just displayed some pretty impressive metaphysical abilities. You know, I don't want to mess with that. But he directs his venom to the crowd. And then the things that he says are just kind of, it feels like frustration nonsense. Right? If you, you know, first of all, he equates uh, seeking healing as work. And then, if you want to do that, don't do that here of all places on this day. As if the woman came seeking this, and as if, if she were to have come on any of the other six permissible days for seeking healing, something would have happened. Right? She's been bent over for 18 years. My sense and again, this is part of how the story plays out, is that the leader is struggling with control of this group of people and with maintaining how it has been functioning across the course of time. Right? I think it's even deeper than just his own sense of personal control. Oh, Jesus is suddenly popular and he's going to win and I have to reestablish my place. I think there is a threat to the stability of this group of people and to how they work if this woman who was bent over is now standing up straight, if she has been transformed in that way, and if the transformation occurs in the way that Jesus has just caused it to happen. The rules are different, who people are becomes different in a way that threatens the groupness of the place. And the leader feels that, and he's going to have none of it. So he turns to the crowd. He tries to maintain things as they are. And if I see it this way, if I think this is what's going on, then it becomes not just calling out one person from long ago who's kind of an easy target. It becomes, no, of course, this is the way human institutions work with religion at the center and Christianity. I grew up in a very adherent form of Christianity. And we would absolutely keep people bent over for the sake of the smooth functioning of the institution. We would absolutely suppress goodness in them, suppress the goodness of God to them, coming to them for the sake of the stability of our organization for the sake of keeping it as it is, knowing what we know, maintaining the status quo. Right? And I think that for so many of us, like so many of us have had that experience, it's not just religion, but it's all human institutions. Right? Where there is an institution, it so easily slips into mandating adherence at the price of the person the individual, who you are, who I am. And so Jesus feels that threat, and he responds like this. It says, but the Lord answered him and said, charlatans, does not each of you untie his ox or his ass from the manger on the Sabbath and lead it away to drink? And this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, 
whom the accuser has bound for, look, 18 years, should she not be released from bondage on this, the day of the Sabbath? So I think there's a lot going on here for Jesus. The Sabbath, as uh, Bobby taught us a couple of months ago, was a day of liberation for everybody and everything. It was a day of rest, and here Jesus is equating that rest with liberation. And not just for those with power, but, over, but for, those, uh, for those for whom those with power exerted their power. So, for children, for slaves, for animals, it was to be a day of rest. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if you on this day liberate your animals, your ox, your ass, if you, take, if you untie them and take them away to drink, shouldn't we be doing the same on this day with this woman? Shouldn't we be producing the same kind of liberation for her? And I think Jesus, too, detects another kind of threat to what he has done for her. If adherence on this morning wins, if it becomes the case that what she did was bad, turns out to have been a violation, it will forever after be the case that her standing up straight, which was a gift of God, will be a mark against her. It will turn opinion against that. When she stands up straight, it will remind everybody that she violated the rules, that she did something wrong. And it will be a source of besmirchment instead of joy. Right? And so Jesus is not going to let that happen. So he too, like the leader, speaks to the crowd. And you get the sense of this crowd sweeping back and forth. They come to synagogue all together. Something happens that they go, oh, that's amazing. Let's do faith that way. <clears throat> the leader tries to bring him back. No, 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 that's bad. And so they start to swing back towards him and now Jesus. And so what Jesus says begins to work. It says, and when he said these things, all those opposing him were put to shame, and all the crowd exulted at all the glorious things occurring through him. So you feel again <laughs> the group think, the crowd think occurring. Oh, Jesus just humiliated our leader. We're done with him. We're with Jesus now. All the crowd, all the things Jesus is doing. <clears throat> and so this is his moment, right? This is when you're at the rally and you're up on stage and you're leading and you've impassioned the people and galvanized them into your way of doing things, into supporting you, into going forward together. It says, Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and to what may I liken it? And so here's where he's going to say, the kingdom of God is like us together. We're awesome. You're powerful. We all think the same thing now and I'm your leader. And so the kingdom of God is like a powerful, impassioned group of people overrunning opposition, going forward, enforcing our agenda. Right, some metaphor for armies and marching and strength. <laughs> but Jesus has a funny relationship with the crowd, with the crowd thing, with the mob. He's leery of it, to put it kindly. Many places, he would not entrust himself to people, for he knew it was in the heart of people. They came and wanted to take him and make him king by force, but he slipped away. Right? The crowd is not a trustworthy entity to Jesus. 
Right? Sometimes they turn in an instant and want to kill him. Is the crowd that becomes a mob that ultimately puts him on the cross. He understands the fickleness. He understands that the mob is a form of insanity, irrationality, that a thought in the mob infects the whole thing so quickly. <clears throat> There's a writer, philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. Now, in full disclosure, I'm, I don't know him well. I just came upon these quotes as I was working on this message, and they were really good, and he's like a well-known, thoughtful person, so here you go. <clears throat> the crowd is untruth. There is therefore no one who has more contempt for what it is to be a human being than those who make it their profession to lead the crowd. The crowd is untruth. Therefore was Christ crucified because he, even though he addressed himself to all, would not have to do with the crowd because he would not in any way let a crowd help him because he in this respect absolutely pushed away, would not found a party but would be what he was, the truth. Okay? So here's Jesus feeling the crowd ready to take him and make him their leader. This is really awesome. And he says, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what may I liken it? <clears throat> it is like a grain of mustard, which a man took and cast into his own garden, and it grew and became like a tree. And the birds of the sky took up lodging in its branches. And again, he said, to what may I liken the kingdom of God? So you feel like, I kind of feel like Jesus is just sort of <clears throat> racking his brains. He asked the question three times, what is the kingdom of God like? To what may I liken it? To what may I, I got one metaphor, but that's, you know, what is the kingdom of God like? <laughs> it is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until the whole was leavened. So the one thing about these metaphors that's, that's helpful to illuminate what Jesus is getting at is the bigness. So a mustard seed typically grows into a bush, like a shrub. But this mustard seed, which a man just tosses into the garden, this tiny little thing becomes a tree. <clears throat> three measures of flour. I've always just kind of assumed that meant like three cups of flour. A measure is a bushel and an eighth which is about 150 cups. So we're talking like 500 cups of flour that this yeast gets worked into. <clears throat> so the metaphor, the images that Jesus uses are these tiny things that these people don't really do much with. The guy just tosses the mustard seed into the garden. And he turns around one day, completely beyond his ministrations, and there is a tree, huge tree. And what's remarkable is the tree provides goodness in this completely unselected way. It's just the birds come and lodge, find safety and shelter in the tree. <coughs> the flower, <laughs> I don't know how one person manages this volume of flower. <coughs> But all she does is put yeast into it, and the yeast works its way. And so it's this pervasive effect through the whole thing, this transformative effect that's kind of magical, kind of mysterious, like, oh, I don't know how that works. I don't know how a seed becomes a tree. But I try to locate these metaphors in the story of what just happened, and they're hard to find. <clears throat> 
right? I mean, what we feel from the story is this dramatic occurrence. Oh, a healing, and people are excited. And, oh. and so I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is saying, yes, a woman who was bent over is now standing up straight, but you know there's a lot of affliction left in the world. Or if Jesus is saying, it's a dramatic you know, event on this morning, but we're just a little small faith community together, right? Or if Jesus is saying, the effect of what I have just done is not to galvanize a revolution, but it's to produce a transformation in you that will play out across the course of time about who you think God is, how God works, how change happens, what God is here for. I don't know. <laughs> I, have, you know I have the touchstone that I presented to you. I think about the transformation in me on that day when the seed got dropped in and I said, well, maybe. <clears throat> it really has worked in this way because to the degree that my wife and I are people of influence here and, you know, <laughs> being the pastors we are, it has transformed this into a pl- I, the tree, into a place of welcome for all, where everybody is welcome to find lodging, to be here in a place of safety, the transformation of the yeast working itself out of, over years. Conversations and conversations transforming completely our conception of the practice of faith. Right? So Jesus feels the mob and the swings and says, oh, I need to put something different in your brains for how this works, for how it plays out, for how growth, transformation, all of it, the goodness of God coming to you happens. So my invitation to you this morning is to see if you can find a place where this resonates for you. I'm going to invite us to just do a moment of reflection, of examination, of searching. Um, Jesus, he presents metaphors and images that leave a lot of room for wondering. You know, I wish sometimes he didn't do it that way. But I don't have some clear sense of, I I can't attach the mustard seed or the yeast to a specific practice of faith or way of thinking, right? (laughs) My, My secret hope is that when I lead this meditation, one of you will have the light bulb that goes on, like, oh, Tom, this is what it means, right? But what better could it be than for you and I to look for the mustard seeds in our own lives? What thing has been planted in you? What idea, truth, practice, change, difference, word, interaction, event, occurrence? I don't know, has put something in you that started to change how you think and feel and behave, how you understand God? What are the mustard seeds that you're spreading around? Okay, so I'm just gonna invite God to come to stir our thinking Give a moment or two to this, and then we'll go forward together. So Jesus, you have a way of conceiving how you work that you want us to grasp, that you want our eyes to be open to, right? (laughs) 
not the big flashy thing. And you want us all to, to be ourselves as we do this, right? To find our own mustard seeds, to find our own ways of standing up straight when we've been bent over. So Jesus, I pray that um, you would highlight for each of us where this kind of, what might have been a mustard seed, what might be a mustard seed, what might be yeast working its way in each of our lives. And Jesus, I I am aware too, I am so stirred in this story by the image of this woman bent over standing up straight. I pray this to be a place where we can all stand up straight, where we can all be completely who we are. Um, And so just, I just make room too for that this morning. If If there's a way that you would bring that experience of that woman to any of us this morning, Uh, Just we give you one more minute for that, Jesus. Amen.